verses as we consider them this evening. Uh, Congregation of our, our Lord, uh, probably aware that uh, each Sunday provides uh, a unique uh, challenge as we approach a sermon, uh, as I approach a sermon. Sometimes it's a, you know, a personal challenge in myself, you know, something's gone on in the week. Sometimes there's the challenge of, you know, the circumstances in the congregation or, you know, it's daylight savings uh, and everyone's a little bit tired and, and struggling to, to stay awake. Uh, sometimes the material is just really difficult that you're dealing with uh, in, in a text. But there's a unique challenge this evening uh, and that certainly isn't that the material is difficult. It's that we're dealing with truths so sublime, so glorious, so wondrous that there is no way on earth I could do them justice. I hope you got the sense as we, as we read through the text. Almost, we're treading on holy ground here. We're looking at the, the prayer of the Apostle Paul from Ephesians 3. This, this beautiful New Testament prayer, and there, and there are a number of prayers in the, in the New Testament, but... I think this is unmatched amongst all those prayers. Its content is magnificent. And, and its form is actually incredibly beautiful. And so the, the commentators describe the form as, as being like a stepladder. And you, kind of, you start at the bottom and with each petition you're just getting higher and higher and you're praying for more wonderful and beautiful things until you're praying something that it, in some ways is unthinkable. You, you're praying that you'll be filled with all the fullness of God. What a prayer. And at its heart, it's, it's a very simple prayer. It's, it's a prayer that would have a, a firmer grasp on the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Martin Lloyd-Jones entitles his volume of, of sermons on Ephesians 3. He calls them the unsearchable riches of Christ. And, and one of those riches, the, one of the riches of Christ, of course, is his love for his people. And of course, we... This is a prayer of the Apostle Paul and of course we, we all need to pray that we, that we would better understand this love. Now just a, a note about the context before we have a look at the prayer itself. I want to note the narrow context. The narrow context is verse 13 where Paul says to the church, don't lose heart. You know, don't lose heart over what I'm suffering. And you know how it works if you see someone suffering, it can be you know, discouraging. It, it's not particularly pleasant. What's Paul suffering? Well, Paul's in jail for his faith. He's in jail because he's a preacher of the gospel. It's not particularly pleasant. And so notice that Paul doesn't pray for, tell the Ephesians to pray. Uh, he doesn't say, well, why don't you pray? Uh, and this is what kind of, I'm going to pray for you. Lord, get me out of jail and so that we can all be less discouraged anymore. What, what does he say? He says, this is what I want you to pray for. I want you to pray that you've got a firmer grasp of the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the antidote to them to not lose heart. And so too with us, congregation. Whatever your situation, whether life is a mess or full of pain and suffering, here's the antidote to not losing heart in the midst of it. It's that we might know Christ's love. Note also the broader context. Uh, chapter 3 is the hinge of the book of Ephesians, this prayer itself transitions us into obviously chapter 4 of Ephesians you know and what's kind of chapters 4 to 6 of Ephesians all about Ephesians lately it's about practical Christian living 
It's the section of the book of Ephesians that's full of command after command after command where, where Paul's telling the church how to be the church. So he says, this is how you live in unity. This is how you grow in maturity. This is how you put off old patterns of sinful behavior and put on new ones. This is how you love one another. This is how you be pure. This is how you submit to one another. This is how you be a good husband or a good wife. This is how you do spiritual battle. And it's as if Paul is saying, if you want to be able to do all these things, what do you need? Well, you need to be grounded and have a sure and firm grasp of the love of Christ. You can't do these things. Your, your Christian life will completely go astray if you are not grounded in the love of Christ. So let's have a, a look at this prayer. Firstly, notice the presence of love. The presence of love. Uh, we, 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 of course, all understand um, uh, what, what difference the presence of a person can make. So if you're going into a, a difficult situation, if, you, if you're going to visit the specialist and get your, get your cancer results back, or if it's a, the first day at school uh, for, for, for the kids, it's, it's nice to have someone present there with you. And, and Paul prays here that we might know the presence of Christ in our hearts. It's actually a very detailed petition in, in, in verse uh, 16 there. Have a look at verse 16. He prays that according to the to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your, in your inner being. So, so Paul firstly recognizes uh, who God is. He's, he's a God of limitless resources. So that's the, the riches of his glory. And, and he, he prays for a, a strengthening. He prays for a strengthening uh, with power. And of course, this strengthening is not a physical strengthening, it's a spiritual strengthening. Uh, the instrument of this strengthening is, is the Holy Spirit, uh, strengthening in your inner being. And the purpose of all this, this elaborate petition, the purpose of all this is so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Through faith. He wants us, Paul wants us to pray that we might know the reality of Christ's presence with us. That by faith we would, we would grasp that he dwells with us in our hearts. Now, now remember, Paul is praying to Christians here, isn't he? Oh, sorry, he's, he's talking to Christians here. He's praying that Christ would dwell in their hearts. And it sounds like an odd prayer request, doesn't it? I mean, isn't that the definition of being a Christian? I mean, isn't being a Christian mean that Christ dwells in you? So, so what's he praying for? Is this like some fancy experience of the, of the Holy Spirit? What is this? Well, Christ does dwell in the heart of every Christian, but, uh, but our weakness is we don't always get that. We, we don't always live with the consciousness of his presence with us day by day, moment by moment. We don't appreciate this as we ought. We, we, we know he's present with us, maybe up here, yeah, yeah, but, but, but we don't know it. We don't experience it in our hearts. And so Paul prays for us and well might we pray for ourselves you know let us know the presence of christ dwelling in our hearts and and you understand that you know someone's presence with you can be associated with uh with, with, with something so you know there might be someone you know and when you when you're with them yeah you know, they're a bit glass half empty and everything's miserable and everything's terrible and, and their presence is associated with just bringing you down um uh, or, or you, you know someone who's really intense and you know when you're with them they're intense and everything's intense and oh it's a bit, it's a bit overwhelming or, or, or someone's presence you know you think of them you think oh when I'm with, when I'm with Daniel 
Man, it's just laughing. It's just laughing and, and jokes, and it's just the, the, the presence is, is pleasant, and it's, it's, it's happy times. And so this, this presence in particular here that, that we're to experience is connected with one thing with Christ. Paul, Paul wants us to know and to pray for his presence, for our knowledge of his presence, because that presence is connected with Christ's love. That's where this, this prayer is driving us. When he dwells in us, when we know that he dwells in us, it's his love that comes home to us. That leads to our second point, the stability of love. Paul prays that we'd be rooted and grounded, end of verse 17, rooted and grounded in love. And so he's got two images there, one is agricultural and one is architectural. To be rooted is agricultural language, it's to have your, your roots Go, go deep down into the, to the soil, the rich soil of, of, of Christ's love. And then to be grounded is architectural language. To, to be grounded is, is what they'd use of a, a building being laid on a solid foundation so that it wouldn't, you know, any pressures could come against it and it wouldn't topple over. It needed to be grounded. And, and we understand that quite well in Christchurch, don't we? Buildings need to be grounded. And, and so Paul's saying, I want you Christians to pray that, that your lives might, might rest on the solid foundation of what? Christ's love. That's the solid foundation. Nothing can shake us when we're grounded in his love. And of course, we do have a tendency at times to, to build our lives on things, other things other than Christ's love, which we think might give us a pretty solid foundation. So, so we might make another person the solid foundation for our lives. Perhaps it's a spouse or a family member and we think, well, we can always look to them for stability when, when, when life goes wrong. Or, or we think, you know, it's our own planning for the future that's, that's a good foundation. You know, I've mapped things out. You know, when I'm 45, I'm going to own my own house. And when I'm 55, we can go on a big trip. And when I'm 65, I'm retired. And I've got this much this and this much of that. And we think we can look after ourselves. Or we might think the church is our foundation. And, you know, and the minister there, he'll always be there for me. And, of course, don't hear me wrong, spouses and uh, planning and churches, they're good and wonderful things. We, but only one thing can ground us <laughs> through the storms and sorrows and struggles of this life. And, and that's the love of Christ. Rooted and grounded in his love, you can flourish and remain stable. Even if something goes bad in family life, your plans turn to custard or the church lets you down. His love can sustain and strengthen and hold you. And I want you to understand, Christian doctrine is profoundly practical. This is practical. Christ and his unchanging love gives a foundation for your life. Ed, Ed Welch shares the story of a 54-year-old uh, father of four who was in great health and he just went to the doctor for a bit of a checkup, and they found a lesion on his shoulder. And so they did a biopsy and, you know, you've got to wait 10 days and wait for the results and he... The doctor says, yeah, come back and I'll give you the results. And he goes there with his wife. And, and the doctor was very direct with him. He said, I've bad news. The lesion is cancerous. It's a malignant melanoma, one of the most aggressive cancers. The only treatments that we have at this stage in time are experimental. You have 
at most nine to 12 months to live. And Henny's wife, they, they leave the surgery. They understandably, they, they, they cry together. But his first words were this. He says, nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. If you think that the news of my death will change my confidence in God's love toward me, it won't. His son gave his life for me. Why would I think he would love me less now? He loved me yesterday when everything else seemed to be going so well. Nothing has changed. He loves me today. You understand, that's, that's grounded, isn't it? Grounded in Christ's love. Nothing ever changes. That's the only place, congregation, it's the only place we can build a solid foundation for our lives. Now, thirdly, I want us to notice the community of shared love. The community of shared love. Before Paul goes on to talk about the, the dimensions of this love, he makes the point that he wants the saints together to grasp the love of Christ. So verse 18, have strength to comprehend with all the saints. And, and, and so what, what he's saying here is this is not some special experience of Christ's love that is, you know, for the super spiritual people over here. Or this is not some unique experience of, of Christ's love that he, he wants you know, people to have when, when they're new believers. This is what he wants all of us to have. All who've come to faith and repentance in Christ to experience this love. The phrase all the saints elsewhere in this letter refers to the Jewish and Gentile believers who've been brought into the new community, the church. So what Paul's saying is this, this knowledge of the fullness of Christ's love is not just for Jewish people. It's for Gentiles as well. It's, it's for everyone because we're all belong to the same family. And Christ's love is best grasped in community. Uh, we, we understand how this works, don't we? A community which shares your love of something, you know, your appreciation of something you enjoy, uh, if you're in a community of those people, it, it enhances your enjoyment. So if, if, you know, if you come up to me after the service and you want to talk about your, your, your car and what you've done with your car and what model car you've got, like my eyes glaze over and, and I'm not, I'm not going to give you any encouragement. I won't know what you're talking about. But if you come and talk to me about cricket, and you, know, you want to talk about Warney and, and, and you know, that, that, that delivery he, he did back in the ashes, that first ball, and oh, you'll talk to me and I'll talk to you back. And, you know, we'll, we'll help each other, stir each other up to, to love and enjoy the thing that, that we appreciate. We understand how this works, don't we? It enhances, there's a community, enhances enjoyment. It kindles greater love. It opens your eyes to other aspects of the, the game or the thing or whatever it is that you appreciate. And this is the same with the love of Christ congregation. It's, it's when the saints are together, savouring Christ's love together, that, that we grasp his love with a, with a surer and firmer hand. You know, you can sing at home, can't you? It is well with my soul. And it's good to sing at home. It is well with my soul. It's a little bit different when you, when you gather in the midst of God's people and you sing, it is well with my soul. And, and you look across to the, to, to the saint who's going through some tragic event in their life and they're singing it is well with my soul it enhances your, your enjoyment and appreciation you know you can you can watch the lord's supper on live stream can't you well you can watch it 
that's nothing like coming together around the table and looking across the table. Here's my brothers and sisters. And here I am, little old me, a place at the table to feast with Christ. And it enhances your appreciation of his love. It says we gather under the word together and we, we hear Christ set forth as crucified and risen, the saviour of sinners, that, that our hearts together are, are drawn to him. See, it's together with all the saints that, that we get a greater grasp of, of Christ's love. Now, fourthly, I want us to notice the dimensions of his love, the dimensions of his love. You know, we all, we all have different ways of expressing you know, how big our love uh, is for, for something or someone and we might say to someone you know i love you to the moon and back or you know i love you um, more than i can say in words well well how, how do we measure uh, like what words can we use to to map out the dimensions of christ's love well paul tries to describe the dimensions of his love by drawing our attention to its breadth length depth and height it's a love that has breadth to it it's it's a love that's that's big enough to to reach out to, to every nation, to take people from every tribe and language and, and people to embrace Jew and Gentile. You know, our, our love is limited, isn't it? There's only so many people we can love. Um, there's only so many people we can know. But, but here's a love that could, could reach the entire world. It could reach a thousand worlds as big as our world. It's a love with breadth. It's a love that has immense length. That's a, that's a love with, with, with immense length. Like some of you have loved a, another person for you know, 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 or 70 years. That's a, that's a long time to love another person, isn't it? But here's a love, much, much longer than that, isn't it? The Lord Jesus loved you in your mother's womb if you are his. And the Lord Jesus, of course, loved you before you were in that womb. You want to know how long you've been loved by Christ? You've been loved by Christ for all eternity. That's Ephesians 1, 4 to 5. You go back a million years and he was loving you. You go back 10 million years, he was loving you then. And his love for you will be undiminished into the future. That's the length of his love. What about the depth of his love? Is there any depth that you can stoop to where his love can't reach you? The depths of despair or discouragement or despondency the depths of sin well of course it can reach us there as well reach right into the depths there's not one person who can say i'm the exception i've gone too far his love can't reach me because his love reaches us wherever we might be but then there are the heights of his love as well the heights of his love and you gotta understand that in in ephesians the the heights uh, is is a is a word that in particular uh draws our attention to the to the heights of heaven it's it's the place where where christ is is exalted uh, overall uh, the place where he's going to display to the to the rulers to the whole world this is what i can do with sinners saved by grace uh, and so when we're weary in the christian life and it seems like everything's uphill here is the love of christ that's that's so high that's so high that it can, can lead us right, that Christ will lead us right into the presence of his Father, where he will say, let me present to your Father with great joy my, my blameless and faultless children. This is a precious love. 
But as yet, we're kind of missing a crucial element, aren't we? We haven't defined the love yet. What is, what is this love we Christians speak of? Is it, is it some kind of sentimental emotion, some, some mushy feeling that we have from time to time? Too often we think about Christ's love in terms of what we feel. Do, do I feel loved? You know, how did the worship service make me, make me feel? Or we measure his love in terms of what we experience in life. You know, if things are going well, he loves me, not so well, he loves me not. But where do we see this love that is so broad, so long, so deep, so high? Well, of course, it's a cross-shaped love, isn't it? This is where we see his love demonstrated. We see it in the self-humbling of the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ, or as Paul puts it in Galatians, the life I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is where we see his love displayed. Now, there was a prison cell used in the Spanish Inquisition. And some years later, the, the remains of a, of a prisoner was, was found in it. Uh, he was in jail for his faith. Uh, there were no windows in the cells. The, the chains were around his, his ankles. It was a tiny little cell you could hardly move around in. But he, he'd scrawled on the wall of his dark and, and lonely cell uh, a cross. And he had four Spanish words written above the cross the spanish word for height below the cross depth to the le left the word for width and to the right the word for length and so in the the isolation and the desolation of that place where no doubt he did not feel lots of nice feelings where he certainly did not experience lots of good things he still knew he was loved by Christ, how did he know it? Because he was looking to the cross where the love of God is demonstrated to his people. The surpassing greatness of Christ's love was just as real there as it was when he was free. And that means uh, for us too, we can always come back to the cross to discover and rediscover the greatness of his love and the depths of his love for us. See, and we understand, don't we, the, the depths of Christ's love? The depths he stooped to to save us? The depths of leaving the glory of heaven <laughs> to the depths of this world? The depths of his humiliation? The depths of his loneliness? The depths of crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? No one could love you like this. No one can go into the depths for you like Christ did. This is where we see the dimensions of his love. We see them clearly in the cross. Now finally, notice the paradox of his love. Paul prays that we might know this love that surpasses knowledge. So he wants us to know it, but what does he say about it? Well, it surpasses you knowing it. It surpasses knowledge. It's too big for you. It's too great for you. You can't take it all in. We can know it truly, but we can never know the love of Christ exhaustively. Even when we are in glory, we're going to discover more of the, the infinite wonder of Christ's love for us. And we're going to be saying constantly, I never knew he loved me that much. Sometimes people ask, you know, why should I come to a church on a Sunday evening? Well, I tell you what, I come to a church on a Sunday evening, apart from having to lead the service. You know, for me, I mean, there's more of Christ's love to know. There's more of, 
there's, there's greater heights and, and depths and a greater breadth to it, to experience. I've, I've tasted a bit of it, but wow, there's, there's always more. There's always more. Haven't we come? Well, hopefully you've come because there's a, a love so great you, you want to know more. You want to be filled with it again and again and again. And, that, and that's where Paul ends, doesn't he? He ends with fullness, that we might be filled with the fullness of God. Now, that, of course, does not mean that kind of we, we become little gods or anything of that sort. This, this prayer is that Christ would so indwell us that we'd be filled to the full, filled to overflowing with his love. Isn't that something to pray for, congregation? And, and isn't that something we need to be reminded of again and again and again as we come to worship on another Sunday? Perhaps, perhaps weary, perhaps discouraged, perhaps burdened by sin or shame or regret, perhaps wondering, do we really belong here? Well, again, as we come, Jesus meets us and says, I love you. My love for you is secure and unchanging. My love for you is best enjoyed in the assembly of God's people. My love for you is deep and wide and vast and can reach you wherever you might be. And my love will satisfy you both now and into all eternity. Isn't that something we, we can pray for, for ourselves and for each other? Amen.